Welcome to Soul Coffee, everybody. I'm your host, Dr. Jamal Fruster, chilling in Tucson, Arizona. As Soul Coffee, if this is your first time, is a podcast dedicated to the mental health of providing for the provider in all ways, shapes, and forms to provide awareness, strategies, tool sets, resources that have really shifted my life and helped me in my journey the last seven years healing. And I'm so excited to be able to pour into you as that's what the space is for, so we can be caffeinated at the soul level. And today's guest is a returning guest. She was on episode 23, uh, Healing Holistically Through Burnout, as uh, she's been a great friend, a uh, great mentor the last two years, as our last time we recorded was about two years ago, y'all, which is very exciting because there's been a lot of development. There's been so much that has happened in the world. There's been so much clinically that you know we've both seen and um, have applied and have been able to see how it's really manifesting in a state of dis-ease in the health of the United States and the health of the world. So uh, I've been chatting it up with her and we're really excited to take this uh, conversation that was based around burnout and really go deeper in a different way, and being able to explore attachment theory, uh, attachment disruption, the dynamics and the implications or what can happen in a family unit, what can happen in one's nervous system, what can happen in one's body and one's mind as there's a need for more of an understanding to get to the root cause of things. And one of my favorite things that I think Erica Cooney, my guest today, can explore that no one else can who has been on Soul Coffee is marriage and family dynamics. As she was a licensed and still is a licensed marriage and family therapist, uh, she was a clinical director, she was a professor at our, our alma mater, Central Connecticut State University, which is so freaking nuts. Um, and even in her trip here to Arizona, it's been so amazing to see the synchronicities, y'all. So uh, prepare yourselves as we're about to jump on in. So welcome to Soul Coffee once more, y'all. Erica Cooney. Hi. Oh, sis, I'm so excited to get after it as, you know, really attachment theory as something that's come up more so. And, you know, I'd really love to just dive in and hear how do you think the world needs to understand or take away from attachment and how it's actually playing into trauma and thus the health of people. So this is a broad conversation, right? There's so many implications to it. It's at the biological level. It's at the individual level. It's at the family level. Here it's we at go. Relational <laughs> levels. It's at community, society levels, right? It's never just one thing. And being a marriage and family therapist, that is another way of saying I'm a systems thinker. I was trained to think in systems. So holistically, it's never black and white. It's never just cause and effect. It's always a lot more going on. And it's understanding everything of how it's going on. And families, relationships, all of things that I just talked about, those levels, right, all have to do with attachment, whether it's an attachment to self, attachment to others, right, attachment to your world. And then if we go into polyvagal theory during our conversation, we can go and talk about more about how even take away polyvagal, let me back up and say, even if we just straight up talk about the nervous system, to regulate, we need co-regulation first, then self-regulation. Mm. And in our society, Currently, we promote a heck of a lot about self-regulation and we forget or people don't understand that you need co-regulation. That's the foundation before you can get to self-regulation. Tell us more on that as I think it's one thing people, as so many people are now sexifying the nervous system as it's so good and delicious and the 
so many different ways to be able to come back into a parasympathetic physiology, which chiropractic has been doing since 1895, I'm just saying. Anyways, um, why is it or yeah, why is it important to understand co-regulation as the foundation before self-regulation? So co-regulation happens through attachment, right? And there's a bunch of different attachment styles. There's four types. And you have secure attachment and insecure attachment. And under the insecure attachment umbrella, there's three types, right? And just knowing to simplify it for this conversation, nice. you know, you just have to understand when you're in secure attachment, that means you are well regulated in your nervous system. Things happen. You don't take it personally. You're able to bounce back from it. You're able to feel your way through everything. You have self-worth, right? And you have a confidence about you where it's not cockiness and it's not like insecure, it's just you have this confidence that, hey, things go wrong. That's part of life, but we're going to keep on moving. You're securely attached in your world, whether it's to yourself or with others, right? So if somebody cancels plans on you, right, you're not automatically thinking, did I do something wrong? Or why are they avoiding me? You just simply say, oh, we didn't have plans. The plans didn't go through today, right? You're nice. securely attached. No story is coming up Correct. at all because there's been a level of co-regulation self-regulation so that we can just keep things pure i'll say that's a good way of putting it i don't okay. know if i would have ever said it that way but we can go with that we're rolling with that one rolling so the role of a parent or a primary caregiver when we're growing even in the womb right with the mother is co-regulation because the mother's regulating her body to the stressors how she handles stress right and then the baby's attuning to that. Is the mother attuning to the baby, vice versa, right? And so when the child is out of the womb and navigating the world, when the child is experiencing big emotions, how that primary caregiver responds matters. And for those of you that are parents out there that are listening and you're thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to mess my child up or oh my goodness, I did mess my child up. Oh. Don't go there. You nice. know, as a professor that taught human development, don't go there. This whole entire episode is for information because when we know better, we do better. And so there is also a time when we become adults that we have to take self-accountability and self-responsibility for things that are going on within us too. So it's information. It's all data. That's what I say. It's just data. And how are we going to collect this data? So to go back, so the way the primary caregivers respond to their child matters. And if a mother or a primary caregiver or a father, because fathers matter too, if you are like that helicopter parent where you're just all over and you never let the kid fall down and make a mistake or anything, please note, children need to make mistakes. They need to fail. They need to know that they can fail and then pick themselves up of off the ground, right, and move forward. They need to know that life skill. That is one of the skills that help us become successful in life. And if the parent is always over hovering and they never learn, then they develop a dysregulated nervous system, right? Same way if a parent's always absent emotionally, we develop another dysregulated nervous system that way, and that's another insecure attachment that happens. And then if we have primary caregivers that oscillate back and forth between being overly involved and then being overly distant, we create this chaotic way of looking at the world. And it's important to know that you can figure out how to develop a healed nervous system 
when I mean by healed is a flexible nervous system, one that can go and range through all the emotions. And you can learn how to have a secure attachment. It's called learn secure attachment. Mm. You can get there. Never heard it before. So everybody that's listening. Yes. If we take anything away from what I'm saying today, you are not stuck where you are in this moment. It doesn't matter if you've received a diagnosis. It doesn't matter if you have a dysregulated nervous system. It doesn't matter if you have an insecure attachment. You can change where you are through lifestyle changes, through self-reflection, maybe some therapy, some trauma-informed therapy, I'm going to say it that way, and understanding that you're not stuck. Change is possible. Mm. Mm. I really just want to hit home that, you know, what Erica offered is that you can heal. It's available to you. As uh, I think it's so ama- uh, it's so amazing. As I, I always call her a chiropractor because uh, she sees the world in a nervous system lens, which I think is so important because uh, it offers one a bigger paradigm shift versus uh, symptom repression, diagnosis, or labeling versus health restoration. And that's where our worlds really, I think, collide, especially through the lens of healing, the lens of progress, and understanding the concept of neuroplasticity as your brain is already changing. It's always changing every second uh, it's either going towards a more maladaptive um, response and behaviors or it's going more towards a positive um, adaptive uh, neuroplastic model and shape and form what fires together wires together in terms of neurosynapses or nerves kind of like two nerves just like kind of linking together like this so you're you can feed and you can or, or you can rebuild and construct new uh, habits interact with different thoughts interact with different emotions um, and interact with and create different behaviors and actions because it's just the once more where you're at right now it's just where we're at it's all good and the i think the three one of the three aspects that she highlighted was therapy not just talk therapy which i want her to share a little bit about you know her story like she did in the first episode uh, lifestyle behaviors and changes um, and then also you know emotional regulation as well too and being able to add in these different aspects to really maximize how your how things are shifting when you say not talk therapy or i know i know in your story that going beyond talk therapy hasn't wasn't simply working when life was very much so happening got hit by a mac dump truck not her body but her car still got hit by a mac dump truck that's what put erica in this path and power of going beyond her traditional or you know therapy's traditional model and sense that she needed to go beyond that as you navigated that journey you know what really just stuck out to you and really drove you to now step into your expression that's a really great question um the mac dump truck accident was literally just a moment in time where you can say god says enough you have to stop what you're doing because something's got to change. You need a new direction in your life because what you're doing is not okay. And I was not I was living a stressed life and I thought that was normal. I thought everybody was stressed. You know, I thought you're supposed to have this high level of stress and I don't think I knew life any other way. And so mm, that part. Mac dump truck made me stop, literally. And um, over the next two years, a lot more stuff fell apart. That's the black cloud era of my life where if anything could go wrong, it did go wrong because any coping skill I had, I would try to apply and it would just make everything worse and more things happened. And so it got to the point where I was 
literally brought to my knees, so to say, in my life. And I was like, okay, something's got to give. What the heck am I missing? I'm a licensed therapist. Mm. I help other people figure their stuff out. How did I miss the signs? Mm. Where did it go all wrong? Like, like really? Mm-hmm. Like, what am I missing here? And so at that point, I went back to traditional talk therapy. And when I say traditional talk therapy, I think I want you to think sitting on a couch, talking about my stressors, day, week in, week out, and then potentially getting a diagnosis and then also potentially saying, hey, you need medication for this. These are your options. And when I was sitting in the therapist office, she was great. I knew she knew what she was doing, but in my head I was thinking, I'm getting more irritated when I leave here. I'm not feeling calmer. I'm getting more irritated because I feel like I just keep talking about the same thing over and over again. Mm. And so that forced me to start looking elsewhere because I'm just that type of person where, all right, this isn't working. I need to figure something else out. I can't. Results driven. Mm-hmm. So meditation was introduced into my life and this is what I say about that. If you've never sat still, don't do it. It was one of the worst experiences I've ever had to sit still for the first time like that for an hour in a meditation class with nowhere to go. Like, mm. I never realized I never could sit still mm. because my brain was so freaking noisy. Like, I felt like my skin was crawling. I was either tapping something. Like, I couldn't sit still. It was yeah. painful in that sense. And what I know now you need to build that muscle. Like that doesn't, if you've never learned how to sit still or if you live a fast paced life, you cannot sit still on demand and say, I'm going to get calm. It doesn't work. You have to practice 30 seconds every day, build up that muscle like as if you were going to the gym. Because if you don't, then all this stuff starts rising to the surface and you can get triggered even more, especially if you have a trauma background in your life or if you have a dysregulated nervous system. Mm-hmm. So from there, I went into the gut health route because I was facing another health crisis. And so they were talking surgery and I was like, I'm not doing another surgery. So that evolved into understanding more about essential oils and how they affect the nervous system. And then really from there, I started to take courses and certifications for with my license that I had. And I was able to start to really understand the nervous system and I got trained in internal family systems, which is a trauma-informed therapy. And I took a bunch of quote-unquote trainings, um, not certification courses, but just trainings on EMDR, somatic experiencing, polyvagal theory. Like I dove into everything so that I could understand more because I knew in my field that we were doing a disservice by just thinking we had to talk about things because I knew I couldn't have been the only one. And as I started nice. to expand and learn more I was like oh there are more of us out there but we're still not enough out there so don't do traditional talk therapy because in order for traditional talk therapy to work you need a calm brain and think about it when you're going into a therapist office who's got a calm brain nobody's got a calm brain (laughs) (laughs) so you need to have trauma-informed and typically a nervous system-based approach to really help you start to self-reflect and that is the purpose of therapy is self-reflection. So you need the incorporation of the body movement and also understanding how to regulate the nervous system and work with it. Mm, I love how you give a foundation to the foundation in being able to start to figure things out as it's a mind-body complex, as you know, I imagine some of our listeners know. And when it came to your extracurriculum or studying 
um, you know, IFS or internal family systems, um, polyvagal theory, nervous system, these different applications. I know you really you feel really strongly about IFS or internal uh, family systems. Tell more of our listeners why you feel like that it's so effective. It's not because I think or feel, it's research, right? And so everything that I talk about, it's more than just like this belief that I have. Everything is research-based. So there's evidence here to show that this is working. And internal family systems shows great results when working with trauma, and especially developmental trauma, especially if you have those little little teas that happened every day growing up and you didn't have anything really major happen so this is like when you think i didn't experience like getting abused by my parents you know they were there for me they loved me but if you didn't feel seen heard or validated and you kind of got shushed with your big emotions or you didn't get heard like Mm. listened to Mm. those are little traumas Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and over time you learn not to pay attention to your own body signals you learn to shut it down And then you start to develop this whole detached from the body thing. And then some of us, if you're like me, you're all in your head. You can analyze the heck out of things. And you can see things and find loopholes. And you're all up in your head and you can catastrophize really quickly. Mm -hmm. Right? But in the meantime, what you're really doing is trying to protect yourself from getting yelled at. For having big emotions or for having a normal reaction to something. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. When you find that, whether it be, you know, in your previous clients or wherever it may be, when the little T's aren't addressed, what, where does that take people into their health? Hmm. Or, dangerous places. Yeah. Very dangerous places. Um, so for a lot of us, I think a lot of humans, especially in America, because um, I can't really speak to international, but I can sure. speak to what's here in America. Yeah. What we know is that if you don't address your emotional states, we go somewhere that's not good physically. Because I believe I said this in the first podcast, um, what your body, what your uh, mind doesn't express, your body will express, right? So if you're not able to process things and get a hold of your emotional states about what's going on, you'll get sick. And so I know for women, if we're too nice, that's bad. You don't want to be too nice because what does that mean if you're too nice? That means you're not speaking up. You're letting things slide when you're really not okay with things, Mm. right? And you start to keep everything inside. And when you keep everything inside like that, your body's going to hold that. And that stress morphs into disease. And that can be MS, autoimmune diseases, breast cancer. I mean, the risks skyrocket for women. you know. And for men, I'm not as well-versed. I'm going to own that right now, but please know. That's okay. <laughs> but, I got y'all. <laughs> but please know the risk for men increase too when you hold things in and you're too nice and you try to keep the peace versus being a peacemaker Mm. because what it is it's repression Mm -hmm. it's repression uh not expression and i love that you you know we had a great conversation with liv and dr danielle before this and what came in when you guys were talking and i looked like i was in my own little world it's because i was i think it's because women they have the capacity to hold space more or they're built to just stay potentially 
and hold things. So it maybe leads to more susceptibility because in Dr. Danielle's episode, we also talked about how the difference between men and women's health that autoimmune diseases are so much more prevalent. And I think it has to do with a part of the history of, I'll just say, expression of women in the United States and all the trauma that, you know, our grandmothers went through, great grandmothers went through. I know you've studied uh, intergenerational trauma, which is a whole other aspect from people immigrating. And it's also uh, when I think about you, like with studying people, how they've immigrated first, second, third generation, and then on coupled with women just not having the right to speak, not having the right to their bodies, not having the right to a lot of different aspect, access or permission to access things that then directly leads to repression of thoughts, behaviors, emotions, and things, which then predisposes them to the trajectory of auto, autoimmune or systemic diseases and failures in the body. Mm-hmm. You know, listening to you talk right now, my brain's going a mile a minute, yeah. right? And I'm thinking, you know, because women were taught to be polite. We're not supposed to rock the boat. We're <laughs> supposed to just say yes, be calm, be nurturing, be kind. And then when we speak up, you know, I'm not one to be quiet. And when we start to speak up or we're loud and we're not able to express. But this is true for men, too, so I need you yes. to hear this. When you're not able to express fully who you are and you're kept small through shame, you will stay small by getting sick. Whether it's manifesting physically, Mm. mentally, or spiritually. Because one other component to all of this, you know, that I think we just need to highlight for a second is it is important to have a faith of some sort, Mm. a belief of something bigger than you. Mm. Mm. Because you need to believe that something has your back. There's a bigger plan at play here. And that was so true to my story. I needed to trust that there was a bigger plan. There was a purpose to all of this crap that was happening. Like that black cloud had to serve a freaking purpose because every area of my life fell apart. Like when I look back, I'm not that person at all. Like, and now I'm sitting here with you, right? And I'm like, because that old Erica would not have been able to sit here and talk and have this capacity. I was afraid to show up for the world. I was afraid to step out of my box that I was caged in. I love the invitation to have faith in something bigger than self, whether like my brother Lou, he's getting after it and crafting his podcast and uh, sharing his journey and all realm shapes and forms into something bigger, connecting to Jesus, connecting to Christianity. Um, it's been humbling to see his path as it, that's I think a reflection of what's available to people when you can step into that bigness is as I'm hearing you, like I pictured this, I want to say Phoenix, but picturing this massive bird getting out of this cage, opening up the wings for the first time and really flying, really soaring. There comes a time to take a leap of faith mm-hmm. to, for me, it came in service. Like when I was my first quarter in grad school, depressed, anxious, burnt out, homesick, sick, like, worst shape I, that, I had, that I had been in being previous D1 athlete, the death of an identity, uh, lack of intent, so much, like getting things just crushed. What I think put me on the path to who I am seven years ago 
was that Jamal that was in so much pain, that Jamal that, um, you know, I was disconnected from my family and my sister in a new location. Like there was just so much pain that I was experiencing and it led to me pushing out, going up, showing up in so many different ways and it wasn't sustainable, but what it put me, what it helped me cultivate was just reps and reps and being able to show up for others. But what it, what I was efforting to actually do at a non-conscious level was I was learning eventually how to show up for myself. And now it's nice in this moment to look back. Like I had a conversation with Michael Tucker about two weeks ago. Had so many tears of gratitude to thank that Jamal seven years ago. Thank that Jamal from 14 years ago. When I was in high school, it just came my shit wrecked. Mm -hmm. And because that was the inception of then what led to that past seven and then led to this Jamal now to have that space to have the application of all the lessons, all the sharp tongue that I had, or like that was the mechanism that helped get me through to protect myself, the armor, the weapon, so that way now, you know, I can apply that, but with a more constructive and I'll say global consciousness and awareness to help others that are also going through their own stressful burden time and mm -hmm. to share with them that, yo, you can do it and that it is available to you and that you got this. So I'm gonna, hearing you, right? I'm thinking you found your purpose. You found your purpose. And that was, I'm gonna bring this back to our first conversation we had on our first episode that I say, don't really remember what I said, but I have a gist of what we <laughs> talked about. And, um, you know, and what I really realized, I think the most is that what caused my burnout is I lost my purpose. Mm. I lost my connection to my purpose. Damn. And I think that's a big thing for people to understand about burnout is when you don't have a purpose and you're like an automatic pilot and you feel like you're just going through the motions, you're going to burn out. Mm -hmm. That was so grammatically correct. You're going to burn out. <laughs> <laughs> and it still hit. <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think learning what your purpose is, exploring, finding. Exploring. Exploring the world. You know, and then this goes back to well, in order to explore, you have to take risks. In order to take risks, you got to have a flexible nervous system. And how do you have a flexible nervous system? You got to learn how to regulate that, right? And so it all ties together. But at the end of the day, what is your purpose? Why are you here? And that is what got me through when my whole world was falling apart. I didn't know what my purpose was, why it was falling apart, but I kept saying, there's got to be a purpose for this. I am meant for something bigger here because I can't be going through all of this crap <laughs> for nothing. Mm -hmm. There's a purpose here. I just have to hold on long enough so I can see what that purpose is and that was or the, it's coming into me. And that was the main thing that you said to yourself that was like your mantra almost to like help you get through or tie, begin to tie you to something mm -hmm. bigger. Because, you know... When the Mack dump truck hacks, so this is 2014. Let's just start talking that way in years. Nice. <laughs> in 2014, when everything was starting to fall apart, I had already been through a lot of stuff in my life, you know. And when I was in 2003, I lost a boyfriend to a motorcycle accident. And, you know, in 1998, 
I had lung surgery to remove part of my lungs. Like, so I already had major things happen where it doesn't make sense. The doctors didn't know why they needed to remove my lung, part of my lung. They just knew my lungs weren't working properly, right? And so I, when I was going through and grieving Dan's death, I did a lot of exploration. And I was like, there, because I'm like, Something's got to make sense here. Like, that's who I am. Let's make sense of something here. But that's human nature, too, to make sense of things. And that's when I really started to understand things do happen for a reason on some level. And it doesn't mean you deserved what happened to you. Things, we don't deserve pain. We don't deserve that. But it's up to us to figure out the meaning of it so that we can move forward and evolve. It doesn't take away that pain that happened to us at all. And it's more about what's your purpose? Why were you here? Why were you placed here on earth? There's a reason. I think one of my favorite things that's coming up for me as you speak, as you said something last night too, which is uh, there's a sustenance behind your words when you say, what is your purpose? Mm. I think some people can say that, but there's their soul is not behind it. There's that there's there's a longing or there's a missing because they haven't, I think, traversed or explored things, and I think that's why me and Lou were so inspired. And what really helped us expand the last two years was the willingness to take the risk, the willingness to, um, you know, whether we travel to Hawaii or chase our personal dreams or to move to Tucson, even because I knew that, yeah, I might have not have done that or maybe for my listeners you may have not done something before but that doesn't mean that you can't do it and once more when you have the basis the foundation of being able to have an adaptable nervous system one of my favorite things we said in conversation last night chilling on the back porch is that for both of us or i'll just speak for me is that now when it comes to re-engaging with the world keeping myself open that there is a newly even deeper sense of trust within myself Mm -hmm. to love the world open-heartedly and know that I can navigate it because I know that I am different. I know that I am more able to apply all the resources and the resourcefulness um, that I've had to tap into while I was like sifting through things, but now being in this now new integrated space, being able to reflect, it feels good. If I were to ask you, you know, what do you think your purpose is in this moment now in this form, what would you say? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me that. I think I'd be prepared. Um, Good. Off the cuff. I think my purpose is to show what's possible through my lived experience. Um, And I just happen to have textbook knowledge to go with it. I don't think it's a coincidence that I went through what I went through, being educated the way that I was educated. Um... And I don't think it's a coincidence that I didn't want to do public speaking. Uh, I did not want to do it. Me neither. (laughs) (laughs) And I got thrown into it. My first public talk was a keynote speech in front of 600 people. Your first? Very first, out the gate. Man. Yeah. Yep. And it just evolved from there. I didn't go looking for it. And so that's how I kind of know this is my calling, my purpose. What did you speak on briefly? Mental health with veterans. Mm. And who set you up for that? Somebody who knew me from like 10 years prior. Okay. So it was somebody randomly reached out and they knew that I had a passion for working with veterans. 
and that I had worked with the um, federal level of the VA at the time. And they knew I was in mental health. They knew I was a professor. And they were like, hey, do you want to come talk? And so. And I, I asked that because I think community is so vitally important. And maybe as perhaps people are navigating through whatever it is they are, having someone that sees you maybe even deeper than you see yourself, whether it be a mentor or you know, a friend from 10 years ago or someone mm-hmm. that knows you, it's important to engage with community because just like neurons like engage and stay connected to one another, I think human beings are a more of a macrocosm of neurons as we're all interconnected in some way, shape, or form, whether we're conscious and aware of it or not. But our community is like a special group of people that can give us or summon in different opportunities for us, perhaps that we couldn't do by ourselves. Oh, I got lots to say right here. Oh, let it rip. Look at that spot. And I don't know if you're going to like what I got to say. Say that shit. (laughs) So I don't always think community is the best thing right off the cuff. If you've been through a traumatic experience, all right, I'm going to repeat that because I turned my head during that. (laughs) I don't always think community is the best thing for you right off the cuff if you've been through traumatic or if you have a dysregulated nervous system, but better yet to go back and pull it full circle. If you have not learned what secure attachment looks like, a healthy relationship looks like, you Mm -hmm. need to be careful because what you attract might be even more dysfunction Mm. and more unhealthy ways of relating. So what I would say is this is where therapy comes into play sometimes. Therapy and having a therapist is great because you get to develop a way of learning how to relate to somebody. Mm. And somebody who has your back unconditionally without any judgment and is attuned with your emotions and helps you start to become attuned with your own emotions. Hence, having a therapeutic relationship with somebody helps you co-regulate. Then you learn how to self-regulate and then you start to learn your body awareness so then you can venture out and look for your community. So then you would know how to identify those red flags that we talked about last night, right? And, or you know if it's a green flag. It's not always great to go in blind looking for community when you are not in a good space because you might just be attracting more. That's an unpopular opinion, but you might just be attracting more negativity, more toxicity, if you've never learned how to have a healthy relationship. The word that comes up for me, and I appreciate your challenge, uh, is codependency. Like, yes. Because then you guys, when you were speaking, I pictured... I don't know, two things colliding and then like spiraling downwardly because there wasn't an awareness of what actual healthy, secure attachment looks like. And I want to really you know, just reflect what Erica said or my uh, application of it is therapists or therapy can be so important because it develops a way to relate to one another uh, or, or a way to relate to another. And I think that in a secure way. So it's like y'all become the anchor. And what would be your advice for people that may have tried therapy and they just didn't feel seen or heard or valued or respected or they just they they felt so uncomfortable in themselves or it wasn't for them or they had a traumatic experience with therapy Mm -hmm. so this is what i used to say to clients on first time i'd ever meet somebody for the very first time in that intake session right i'd be like you're interviewing me right now and i'm interviewing you we are trying to see if we're a good fit Can we jive together? Do you feel like you can lay down whatever you need to lay down, any armor, and start to understand? Like, do you feel safe with me? You need to know that you feel safe with me. 
Same thing with me is I'm looking to see if we can work together. Is this something that I know that's within my wheelhouse of skills? Yeah. Right. I'm not going to try and be the hero here. I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is then refer you out to somebody that knows that could probably be a better fit for you who can has a different set of skills that I don't have that I know that would be better fit for whatever you're going through. So right there, if a therapist doesn't say that to you within their first time meeting or even on the consultation call, be weary of that. And you got three tries. That's the three strikes and you're out rule for me. First time, you're everybody's nervous the first time you talk to somebody. Second time, all right, you're sitting there. Okay, can I dip my toe in the water and start to self-disclose a little bit? How am I getting received, right? And then by the third time, you're going to know if you're going to be able to talk to this person or not. And believe it or not, most folks, um, including myself in this, when you've gone through trauma and you've gone through some stuff in your life, you're a good judge of character. You know right off the bat if you're going to be able to trust somebody. You can sniff it. Yeah. You can walk into a room and know, and you don't have to say a word, right? And you you got a good judge right right then. What is is that that phenomenon? Like to be able to after someone's been through something. nervous system saying, hey, been here before. I've seen these things before. I'm sensing this. I've sensed this before. I don't feel safe. Because even if it's new to you and you've never done it before, it won't give you that sixth sense the way that you just picked up on. That is more recognition. I said the fucking word. <laughs> mm. Mm. Something that you said earlier at lunch is that some people can become a victim to their circumstances or have the perception that they can become a victim to their circumstances. Feel free to clean that up as, as you I was going to say, I don't think I um, said it exactly like that. <laughs> yeah. What I will reflect in this moment, what that made me think of is how people, when they've been kicked with little T's for so long or big T's or whatever it may be, that they can pay attention to their circumstances a lot more because they need to so that way they can survive. So as they're navigating through this journey, uh, and finding someone, perhaps a therapist, uh, to start to relate to, um, I can appreciate what you just offered in reflection of, like if you if they're not establishing that humility, I heard humility and specificity. If a therapist isn't like establishing that, you know, and they 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 look for another one. Like where where else can they look? So you know, I think also I want to bring up. I think this is a really great point. Not everyone needs to go to therapy. That's another unpopular opinion. You know, sometimes people just need coaches. Sometimes people just need mentors. Sometimes people just need a community like a church um, or a pastor that they can talk to and relate to that way. I'd love to hear the, the difference in why someone may need, from your perspective, a therapist versus a coach versus a mentor versus... any of those other options so like the way i was explained to me mentor let's hope i get this right i hope i don't mess this up mentor is when you're lost about trying to go where you want to go for your future you get mentor who's done what you're looking to accomplish somebody who's already embodying what you want to get to so that's why entrepreneurs should really go for a mentor right and through that you get mindset through that, you get mindset correction, right, and how to think like an entrepreneur. You don't need to go to therapy for that. You can just go to a, a mentor and that get makes that, sense. right? That makes sense. A coach is more you're looking to develop some skills, mm. some life skills. And those life skills vary. I don't mean 
how to brush your teeth and do the dishes and do laundry life skills. I'm talking how do you navigate through life that will help you be successful. If you're trying all of that, you're eating healthy, you're doing the supplements, right? You're working out, you're lifting weights, and you're trying to correct your mindset, but you still feel like you're being held back by this fear of some sort, and you can't seem to get out of your own way and control your emotions in your emotional states, that's usually the time to go check out a therapist and to kind of get more involved with looking at why am I getting so dysregulated? If you're getting that kind of extreme dysregulation, it's usually tied to some form of trauma in the background somewhere, whether it's little T or big T, doesn't matter. Mm. In community with the church and finding a pastor, that's just a different avenue, right? And it's going through using the Bible as the guide versus when you go to a therapist, it's not to say that the worlds can't meet together and work together, but typically on the therapy side, we don't go into the faith portion. We talk about faith, like do you have faith? But scripture isn't being recited per se, unless you're seeing a faith-based therapist who's doing mm. it all. Makes sense. That was, that was great. I appreciate you clarifying that. And I think that we've explored a good realm of co-regulation self-regulation my next question would be what would be your advice or offering if people are interacting with someone who may be dysregulated whether it may be their parents or maybe it's their friend or their partner and they're aware of the different signs and symptoms of maybe green flags or, or excuse me red flags per se or they, they just it's tough for them to interact what would be your advice for them so this isn't about trying to change anyone else, manage anyone else's emotions, because that's codependency when you try to manage other people's emotions. And this isn't about you changing your insides either to make sure that you can be around somebody else. This is about, okay, recognizing within you, oh, this doesn't feel good to me. Keep it simple. This doesn't feel good to me. I don't like how I'm feeling right mm. now. I feel like I'm getting upset or I'm feeling frustrated, right? If you can start labeling emotions, that would be great. Mm. Mm. And then from there, you either decide to stay in the scenario or remove yourself and take space. This is not about saying in that moment, hey, change the way you're talking to me right now. It's not cool. Like that's not it because then you're dysregulated and you're going at it that way. It's You're matching tone then. Mm -hmm. It's more, hey, I think I need to take some space because I'm not okay right now. I'm not, in, I'm not okay with how this is going down. And you walk. And you need to go take space. And then if you when you decide, I shouldn't say if, when you decide to go back to that situation, right, you have an opportunity to address, hey, this is why I left. And then they have an opportunity at that point to either apologize and say, oh, I didn't realize that. I'm sorry, I won't do that again. Or I'll try to make sure I don't do that again. Or they can gaslight you and be like, I didn't do that. What are you talking about? That's all you. Then you have a choice. You can continue with that relationship or you can go away. And this is oversimplified. Please know this is completely oversimplified, but I think it's easiest to explain when you oversimplify it. You got to talk to like a five-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. 
uh, this makes me happy as I, I think that's just a, for me, like I hear these different steps. I just think nonviolent communication. In a uh, way, yeah. In, in a way, not labeling it as that, just a just efforting to give people tools to navigate it because this last two years, it's been so much. Last three years, it's been so much for people. And I know not everyone, like people have their hesitancies about therapy. People don't know what the nervous system is. People, you know, are doing their best. They're very, they have all of life stressors, like in providing for the provider. We literally go through like, 10, 15 of them and mm -hmm. how they're all interacting and placing a demand on the body, placing demand on the nervous system. And what I offer my people is a means to identify some other values, some of what's most important to them. And so that way they can start to gather their ammo or know what energies and how, how they want to interact and exchange and what's most important to them. Mm -hmm. And it comes from a state of reflection. I think before people can get to a state of reflection, they need to once more come back to that state of regulation and awareness. Otherwise, you can't it's not trust happening. what you're thinking when you're stressed out. It's not, uh, say it's not sustainable. You can't trust what you're thinking. You're lying to yourself. Hmm. Your brain lies to you. Your hmm. mind lies to you, I should say. Hmm. Tell me more. Well, think about it. Ha. Huh. Let's go. Let's do this. So you have this big event coming up, and you have to do something you're not used to doing, so you're stressed out about this event, right? And you're like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to go do this event. And then all these little things start happening around you, right? Like the car doesn't start right away, or you left the keys in the door, and you start thinking, See, that I left the keys in the door. And because I left the keys in the door, this is a sign that this is going to go bad. And if this goes bad, then this is going to go bad. You just start automatically assuming things go bad because our nervous system is made to protect us. Mm -hmm. And how do we protect ourselves? To see worst case scenarios play out in front of us. So when you have an activated nervous system, AKA stressed out, you're gonna see things that could go wrong because you're, that's what you were wired to do. But when you have that regulated nervous system and you're calm, and I don't mean you're going to stay calm all the time. I don't want you to stay calm all the time. But when you stay calm, you get more into this connecting part and you start to see the good. You start to see the possibilities. You can see new alternative endings mm. instead of the doom and gloom. Mm. So your ability to feel that stress, get into that like, uh-oh, deer in the headlights look like, what do I do? and get really stressed out, but then bounce back is what we're looking for. That quickness of bouncing out of it. We're not looking for you not to get stressed out. We're looking for, to see how quick you can bounce out of it. Mm. What comes up for me when I hear you say that is learning how to ride the wave. Yeah. Like ride the wave and remain curious or get back to a space of curiosity potentially as that can help um, move one out of fear and ask questions mm -hmm. of like, how is this working out for me? Where is this going to work? How can this benefit me? And any slew of questions. And then I also just think of that gazelle that's just like eating, manjing on some grass. And it's like, <laughs> it hears that, no, that crick in the grass. And then it comes back home and it really, but it, it comes back home. It whew, diffuses things. And I, that's why I think nature's so beautiful. I think, you know, you mentioning waking the tiger is the first time I heard about that in our first interview and then Dr. Danielle like literally put it in front of my face and I was like, I need this book. <laughs> and really exploring, you know, a somatic experience, getting deeper into the body, the felt, the power of the felt sense mm -hmm. and curiosity, like, because for me, curiosity and the felt sense, it's like uh, self, it's, damn, it's self-exploration mm. and 
the more that one can explore within oneself, one's body, one's mind, potentially, maybe that partners really well and well, and that can be a permission slip for them, people to then go outside and, you know, maybe begin to start exploring, um, whether it be travel or may there be community or relationships or, I don't know, it's just a reflection that came up. So you got me thinking a little bit more that I feel like I have Perfect. to say something. So I feel like I need to say this piece. I would be remiss if I didn't bring this up. Please, go in on it. Most of us that experience childhood trauma happens in the nonverbal stages. Ooh. So when you have nonverbal trauma, Ooh, you can't gonna... heal it through talking. Oof. It's got to be done through the body. And that's why somatic experiencing in like Damn. IFS or EMDR works wonders. Damn. So remember that if you've had those little teas happen and you didn't have a parent that was attuned to your needs, let's go back to attachment, which started this whole conversation. If you did not have a primary caregiver who was attuned to your needs, you, that becomes little teas. And those little teas are happening in nonverbal. So you cannot heal that through talking it out. You can only heal that, get to the root. When we say heal, we're talking about get to the root. You can only get to the root through the nervous system, and the nervous system is through the body. Because mindset shifts start in the body. Mm. Because, of, I don't know, I just picture dendrites. They look like roots. They're, they literally look like roots that when you can explore, literally, like the, there's, a, <laughs> there's a mental, there's a real estate. They take up real estate. Mm -hmm. And one thing I love that you keep going back to is attunement. Uh, how would you define attunement? It's, oh, that's a good way. Um, I hate it when you do that. <laughs> I like to know that I can just go, boom, this is your answer. Um, no, it's good. So attunement to me is to be able to understand what somebody needs without overgiving or turning your back on them. Ooh. Tell me more. So attunement, you know, like think about when a baby's crying. Crying it out, letting a baby cry it out is the worst thing that we could do for our children. It is not about letting them cry it out. It's about picking them up and co-regulating with them. And yes, that means you're co-regulating with a child until they're like seven or eight years old. Yes, that is supposed to happen. And I'm saying seven, eight, like don't quote me on that, but it's, however long they need to have that regulation. Mm, that's good. Okay. And so attunement is really being able to say, okay, my child is acting off. Why? But not hovering over them and then fixing everything for them and then not also saying, oh, you're on your own, kiddo. Figure it out. It's how can you be present, fully there in your child's space and energy mm. and say, hey, you know, if they're talking, hey, notice, you okay? And if they say yeah, okay, you trust that, right? Or if they say no, you help them explore what's going on. But if they're not there, you just know as a parent, something's off with my kid. We're going to figure this out. Could be nothing, could be me. But if you're fully present because you have a regulated nervous system, you'll be attuned. Yeah. I hear two men paying attention is important. Now, I'm also just going back to Waking the Tiger because I think a quote or around a quote uh, Peter Levine mentions is that nat nature, animals are attuned to nature and they're attuned to the literally the field, mm -hmm. the meadow, the ocean, whatever. They're they're very aware. They're 
actively present or they're actively ready. So that way, if there's a disturbance in the force, no, yeah. there's a disturbance in the field or they hear a crunch, mm-hmm. or they're aware alert. of it, they're alert in human environments that would look like those who are regularly co- co-regulating with. Like I know when Lou's off, he knows when I'm off mm-hmm. because we're present, we're paying attention and we're able to be aware because we have bandwidth or we yes. can actually can see beyond ourselves and now we can enter more awareness into what's beyond ourselves. Right, and so the key here is when you notice that your person, we're gonna just say it this way, when you notice that your person is off and that something's off about it, you don't get all anxious inside and then you start fixing or you get scared and you shut down. Okay, that is not attunement. No. So that is your nervous system and your attachment style kicking in, your insecure attachment style kicking in. Mm. So it's knowing that you are, okay, they're off. I don't have to fix it. And I don't have to run away either. How do you stay present? Just here for it. Mm-hmm. Whatever it may be. Yeah. Because you have a secure attachment. Mm-hmm. You're anchored in yourself. Right. I hear there's a good book. Not that you read. <laughs> I think it's called Anchored. Yeah. Um, on Vagal Tone and Vagal uh, Theory. By Deb so. Dana. There she is the guru of how to apply polyvagal theory in therapy, in clinical therapy. Got it. And she works very closely with Dr. Stephen Borges. Got it. Probably a resource for y'all. Uh, so, I loved I loved that attunement to need. I love your reflection of attunement as well, too, because attunement to needs is so important because I think when needs aren't being met, that leads to emotions, whatever they may be. Needs are met, probably more constructive positive emotions needs aren't being met or haven't been met probably leading to more uh, anger disappointment sadness whatever it may be so i'm also going to put this out there if you're not attuned with yourself you can't be attuned with others mm-hmm. i'd say it happens no other way no which is why that that's so important so there is one thing i want to make sure that i say before we conclude because we talked about this at lunch and I thought it was very important for us when we talked about it at lunch. You know, when you go to therapy and you get a diagnosis, I think it's so important for people to understand that a diagnosis is simply a snapshot in time. It is not a lifelong label that you are stuck with. Nice. It is something that can be worked through. Oh. Because 99% of those diagnoses that are in that DSM book, the diagnostic book that therapists use, is a manifestation of a dysregulated nervous system. And knowing that if you have power to understand how your nervous system works and then how you can help regulate it, whether it's through processing some unresolved trauma that you have, right? Or it's changing your diet or it's changing and learning how to start lifting weights so you move more because you need to exercise and you can't be behind a computer all the time, right? Or be inside all the time. You need to be outside and get daylight and everything. There's so many components to what can help manifest a mental illness, And it's important to understand it's just a snapshot in time. And that diagnostic book is not trauma-informed, context-based, or nervous system-based. So good. It's important for us to have a way to communicate with each other. But it's not important to become your label because it is just a way for providers to understand, hey, there's a symptoms happening here, a clump of symptoms 
And this is what we're seeing. But remember, you can go to five different therapists and get five different diagnoses. So don't hold too much weight to what you got. Mm. Think of it more in terms of what's going on with my nervous system. Mm-hmm. What's the status of it? Mm-hmm. As um, I love the that's an idea. It's a snapshot of where you're at potentially in intensity of symptomatology and just where you may be at. And, you know, it's just really exciting. As one final point, you know, neuroscience wise and studying doctor, the works of Dr. Heidi Havoc, who's a um, chiropractor in New Zealand, but her father was a medical doctor. She's a PhD. Like she's brilliant. She's literally putting chiropractic research on the map once more. And she highlights this beautiful picture of when the prefrontal cortex or this part of the brain, AKA the brain's a part of your nervous system in case you guys don't know that when that part of the brain gets stressed or I like to think of it like pops up or it just disengages and it's not it's not now in control of executive function conceptualization emotions and different things that predisposes and activates the limbic system which is the mental and emotional brain which a lot of people can get trapped into and stuck into which then over time can lead to these maladaptive symptomatologies or expressions and behaviors which we can start to see as sleep disturbance as anxiety as disruption in heartbeat as these different reactions of the body that are starting to enter a stressed physiology that is prepping itself to fight flight or freeze and when that's going on for a prolonged time because there is no physical process that does not require time that's why i think it's so important to give yourself grace in just listening to erica as well too to recognize where you're at and know that it doesn't need to be forever and that you too can heal through whatever diagnosis you have been handed but know that you aren't your symptoms you aren't your diagnosis you're not the label and that you can heal because once more it's just a screenshot but it doesn't have to be forever baby and you can Mm -hmm. do it yes and dr dan siegel is who came up with what that little hand motion you just did this yeah oh sweet Mm -hmm. awesome i love that he's a ucla professor clinical professor and has a couple of books out Mm. big so those of you learn more from him too love it writing that down put his name into the show notes doesn't love learning is there anything else you know, you really want to impart to our guest today? You are not stuck. You may feel like you're stuck. You may feel like you have this black cloud that's not going anywhere. You're trying everything you know possible to man to try to fix what's going on. But just keep the faith, one foot in front of the other. Keep moving forward, whatever which way that may be. You know, if you're doing everything that you can as far as getting enough water, getting the sunlight, exercising, lifting weights, eating enough healthy, nutrient-dense foods, right? And then you're going and talking to somebody, whether it's a coach, a mentor, a pastor, or a therapist to work on those emotional states. You will get to where you're going because remember, you got to know your purpose. What is your purpose? Find your purpose. And life happens before you know it and it's not always bad life can unfold in beautiful ways life can unfold in beautiful ways i just think about what if the unknown was magical as i imagine when you're in that black cloud the unknown is very scary petrifying yeah afraid to turn that corner to be like okay what else is going to come at me can i handle what's coming at me please tell me i can afraid to get out of bed afraid to answer a text afraid to whatever it may be as i think one thing that you reflected that's really important is 
uh, trauma isn't the event itself. It's the perception, the the entrapment of that in our neurology. Our so trauma is more the fact of your nervous system. You're, you, so we all can ha- handle stress. We all can handle stress, right? When the stressors become overwhelming, it kicks, starts our nervous system and gets stuck. That's trauma, when it gets stuck in a dysregulated state and you cannot get out of it. It's nothing about the event per se. It has nothing to do with your mindset per se. Your nervous, the stressor just became overwhelming to your system. And that looks different for everybody. Like a Mack dump truck could not affect somebody and it can affect me. It just depends on your genetic makeup, your past experiences, what you've been through, what you haven't been through and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I think that's why it's an invitation for chiropractors to understand trauma more deeply as thoughts, traumas, and toxins actually are what creates subluxation, which has a visceral, pathophysiological, histological, myological, uh, and visceral, once more, effect on the body. That's from a central motor segment or joint that's not moving as it needs to, as it's putting a location and putting a thing to this mental or life thing that can be stuck in the body. So it gives like a it gives something to it. So uh, how can people hit you up, connect to you, see what you're doing, and all the things? You can follow me on social media at The Burnout Professor. You can go to my website, theburnoutprofessor.com. Um, if you are looking to have a speaker come and talk to your companies or you have an event going on and you need a speaker, feel free to reach out. Um, the website, theburnoutprofessor forward slash contact. And... Yeah, you'll always know more. You'll always know what I'm up to through the social media or my website. I love it. Please all give Erica a follow. Hit her up if you need a fire speaker as it's good to see her really spread her wings and lighting people up all over the world and all over the nation, y'all. So um, it's an honor to bring her to Soul Coffee once more in this dialed-in sense, in this refined sense. And uh, y'all, it'd be the biggest compliment or, you know, biggest help if you find this to be valuable. Like, yo, share this shit. <laughs> share with people. Like, there's so many people that have experienced trauma or are experiencing it that I think this episode is going to be so potent. And, you know, if it's also helpful, leave a five-star review as that's the biggest thing that you could ever do for me as uh, I'm really excited for Soul Coffee to continue along its way. And, you know, thank you so much for listening. I had this last thought uh, when I was falling asleep the other day. I'm just so grateful to be in this aspect of life. And I just want to just thank everybody uh, that tunes in and that has tuned in over the last few years as this really has been one of my favorite things that I've gotten to do and gotten to create and co-create with Lou. So uh, thank you for all my listeners, whether this is your first episode or this is your 63rd episode. Uh, I am so, so grateful for you as you're a part of uh, my purpose in being able to pour into people and giving them permission to live authentically within themselves. Uh, so thank you so much with all of me. And uh, these episodes will be looking to drop Sundays and Mondays regularly, alternating between a solo episode and an interview. So I feel it's good to have that organization too. So until next time, peace.